Hello, everyone. Before we start today's podcast, some exciting news for you. You can experience the Inside Politics podcast live in Dublin on May 16th, when Hugh Linehan, Jennifer Bray and I will be joined by Cliff Young of Ipsos, one of America's top pollsters, to talk about the US election, our own local and European elections, and much more. It's a breakfast event kicking off at 8am in Trinity College. If you'd like to attend, you can get tickets at irishtimes.com forward slash events. That's irishtimes.com forward slash events. I hope we see lots of you there. Hello and welcome to the Inside Politics podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Pat Leahy, sitting in this week for Hugh Linehan. Well, it's Holy Week. The doll is on Easter recess, which we thought would be an appropriate time to consider the state of the parties. The pandemic is over, or nearly over. Normal politics are something like it, dominated once again by where questions like where to tax, where to spend, where the priorities of the state are and what to do about the pressing social crises in the health service and in homelessness, all against a background of war and a cost of living crisis that continues to squeeze people in their daily lives. So in a little while, I'll ask our distinguished guests this morning. Good morning, Harry McGee. Hi, Pat. Good morning, Cormac McQuinn. Good morning, Pat. For their thoughts on all that. But first, I wanted to discuss briefly the state of play on something else. The controversy du jour of recent days that arose when it was revealed that Dr. Tony Houlihan was to move from being chief medical officer, the post he occupied throughout the pandemic, to Trinity College to lecture and lead a research team. While initially welcomed, revelations that his salary would continue to be paid by the Department of Health and that the Minister for Health and the Taoiseach and other politicians were kept in the dark about the move led to the Taoiseach calling for the appointment to be paused last Friday. On Saturday, Dr Holhan announced that he wouldn't take up the role and would retire as Chief Medical Officer from this summer. A report by the Secretary-General at the Department of Health, Robert Watt, is with the Minister and is expected to be published today or tomorrow. But senior politicians are extremely annoyed with Mr Watt for his role in the controversy. And his report is understood to directly disagree with the Taoiseach who said that this was not merely a personnel matter, but a policy matter which needed the approval of politicians. So, Harry, you've been reporting a bit on this. Where do we stand at the moment? Well, we're still awaiting the report at this moment in time. So we expect it to be published sometime on Wednesday or possibly on Thursday. And it will be an apology pro sua vita by Robert Watt. He's the author of the report. He's also the subject of the report, as far as I can ascertain, because he is the person who made the key decision that Tony uh, Holohan would not retire from the Department of Health, rather that he would be seconded on his €187,000 per annum uh, salary and sent to uh, Trinity. And there would be attendant costs in that uh, pass as you've been writing about in in recent days, you know, the setting up of a new unit, staffing costs, administrative costs. So this would have cost a pretty penny. Two million a year, wasn't it, is what I understand that the costs that were outlined in advance of this were were to be, which over the 10 or so years to Dr. Holohan's expected or normal retirement age would be about 20 million, which, you know, is not a huge amount of money, in the context of the overall Department of Health budget. But it is a chunk of change that normally 
you know, government or at least the Department of Public Expenditure would have to sign off on, right? Yeah, and especially because it's it's all revolving around one individual. So it's a lot of money when you talk about one individual. I know that other people will be employed and there are other administrative, technical uh, support costs that, that will be associated. But essentially, that job didn't exist. Uh, the creation of that particular job will cost in the region of €2 million Euro per annum. We understand that Robert Watts' uh, defence is that that was a delegated function reserved for the, the permanent civil service and the decision maker, which was him. So he didn't have to refer to the minister or get permission from the minister. It was his decision to make and he made that decision. Now, I think there might be, uh, I would suspect that there might be a tincture of regret in the uh, report uh, that perhaps that decision wasn't communicated to the minister until the story was on the verge of being broken at the beginning of last week because it made uh, Stephen Donnelly look very bad I- indeed. Because Stephen Donnelly welcomed this move effusively on uh, on Morning Ireland on, was it Tuesday morning last week? He did, but he welcomed it at the time it was announced on the 25th. But what Stephen Donnelly didn't know on the 25th was that it was a secondment and that the Department of Health would continue to pay Tony Holohan's salary. By the time he spoke on Morning Ireland last week, he did know. Now, he didn't make any reference to that during the course of, of the, the interview. But, I mean, essentially, um, if you listen back to the interview, knowing now that Stephen Donnelly had only learned the previous day that it was a secondment, it sounded very much like a minister taking one for the team. Uh, he was um, not exactly filleted by Rachel English on Morning Ireland, but it was a very uncomfortable uh, interview uh, for him. And, I mean, it begged the question as to why the minister wasn't made aware of this arrangement. It wasn't a an anonymous civil servant. It was probably, you know, the... The, the, the highest profile civil servant in the history of, of the, the state. state. In, in, you know, indeed. And, you know, that was salient information, the fact that he would be retained by the Department of Health and also that the Department of Health would pay his, his full salary and the Trinity would bear none of the costs. Uh, there's also, uh, the Taoiseach said it yesterday, and it has been said by others, that the Health Research Board, which is uh, within the Department of Health, uh, would be responsible for some of the funding. Now, I spoke to the Health Research Board last week, and they said to me that they had nothing to do uh, with the uh, arrangement. Uh, the Taoiseach has suggested that they would provide the funding. They have not been approached. They're not involved in the in the process. So uh, it's clear that if uh, Robert Watt or if the Department of Health attended uh, for the HRB uh, to become involved in funding the uh, secondment, that process had not even begun at the stage that this became a big story last week. It does put the Minister of Health, Stephen Donnelly, in a somewhat awkward position, doesn't it? Because, uh, as we said already, Chris, he welcomed this effusively last week. But although we haven't seen it, I think we can say with some confidence that Robert Watts' report insists that this is a personnel matter, not one that requires political uh, polit- political sign-off. The Taoiseach was very clear uh, when he, he spoke to some reporters at Arbor Hill on Sunday that his view was that this was not merely a personnel matter. Now, I asked the uh, Minister for Health spokesman yesterday, you know, 
the rather obvious question, does he agree with the Taoiseach or does he agree with his Secretary General? And um, Rabelais Dictu, no uh, definitive response was forthcoming except to say that he would comment on this when the report was published. But he is in an awkward position, isn't he? Uh, Stephen Donnelly or Robert Watt or both. I, I think both are in awkward positions. Both, but for different reasons, I guess. I mean, Robert Watt finds himself in the unusual position of being a senior official directly at odds with the Taoiseach. And that is something I have to say, I, I you know, I can't recall uh, a, a similar occasion in the time I've been covering politics. But it's an immediate problem as well for for Stephen Donnelly as to who he agrees with on this matter. Yeah, I think the, the problem for Robert Watt is uh, he might be a public servant who will be perceived as being too powerful. Uh, he moved to the Department of Health and got an 80,000 boost uh, of his salary. Now he's making a decision without any reference to the minister and saying it falls within his delegated responsibility. And I think that that politically... I mean, I know that that he he says it was a personal rather than a political thing, but it has become political and that perception will be there. I think for Stephen Donnelly, I I think the fact that he wasn't informed uh, is quite uh, telling and questions will be asked about the relationship and the level of trust that exists uh, between the Minister of the Department of Health and the Secretary General of, of that department. And that's something that will need to be resolved. I think people will need to be reassured that the working relationship is a good one because it's a huge department with massive challenges. And if there is a fractious relationship or if there is some kind of a divide, it does not look well uh, for the uh, future workings of the department as it tries to implement the many strategies uh, that the uh, government wants it to implement. I think there's one further angle on this, which is worth mentioning very briefly, and that is, I understand that the report will also suggest that Mr. Watt had briefed the Secretary General of the Department of the Taoiseach, Martin Fraser, the most powerful civil servant in the country, uh, about this. So I think there's going likely to be further questions about to what extent, you know, that briefing gave all the relevant uh, facts to Mr. Fraser. He's likely to be asked uh, about that. The other thing is that it seems to me the background of all of this and the kind of quite plain political unhappiness with Robert Watt that's circulating around ministers uh, at the moment is not so much all about this, certainly not all about this particular controversy, but is a sort of a hangover from the controversy over the salary hike that Mr. Watt got when uh, he transferred to the Department of Health. All of this, uh, Cormac, if I bring in briefly on it, is going to be uh, the subject for future inquiries, I think, by the the Oireachtas Finance Committee, which uh, is, of course, chaired by the redoubtable John McGuinness, who has um, crossed swords, I think, with Mr. Watt, uh, and on more than one occasion in the past. So I suppose the broader point at this stage is that this controversy, even though, you know, compared to some of the things going on in the world, is a bit of a storm in a teacup, but it's a storm in kind of a large teacup w- within government circles. And it's not going to abate anytime soon. Well, I think one of the things that's extraordinary about this latest controversy is that they didn't take any of the learnings from 
uh, Robert the the controversy over Robert Watts' salary increase when he was appointed as the the Secretary General of the Department of Health. It was an eighty one thousand euro increase over what he was earning at at the Department of Public Expenditure. Um, you, you mentioned John McGuinness there. He chairs the Committee on Finance. It previously did a, a an investigation into the salaries of senior civil servants with the Public Accounts Committee on the back of that salary increase for Robert Watt. It was highly critical of what it, what it found to be a, a salary increase that happened at an, in an ad hoc fashion. And, and you know, it's it, it made a series of recommendations on how the system could be reformed. Uh, but that that is... It's quite surprising that nothing has been learned from that. And it's, it's perhaps a, a pattern of, of Robert Watts' interactions with politicians over the years. I mean, he, he previously called the, the, the old public accounts committee in the last doll a mob. He has uh, been very reluctant to answer questions put to him by politicians at such committees. I mean, most recently it was, it was um, when he was before committees answering about his salary increase, whether or not he was still waiving it. He initially said he'd waive it until the economy improved and, and unemployment fell. Um, you know, he wouldn't answer those questions at committee uh, late last year. And then it emerged this year that he has be- begun taking the, the full salary. Um, so it's, it's a, it's a pattern there that, that, will be uncomfortable for for the government i mean this this time it seems that the politicians weren't weren't directly involved but it certainly harks back to the the previous occasion where where mr watt's salary was agreed by the politicians you know the, um at the at the highest level you know the Taoiseach was involved minister michael mcgrath was involved and uh, martin fraser was involved on that occasion as well so it it allows it allows the opposition to uh to take aim on all of these issues all over again. And uh, I, th- I think that's why we'll see this drag on because, uh, you know, uh, Mr. McGuinness has certainly indicated that this is something that his committee is going to want to examine in the weeks ahead. Yeah, well, it seems to me that um, this one's going to run for a little bit and the wholly avoidable difficulties that this government inflicts on itself over senior appointments are going to continue. But after we come back, we're going to Take a step back and focus on the state of the parties uh, as they are this Easter. You're very welcome back. Well, later this year, uh, the government will attempt what no go Irish government has ever done, which is a bit of switcheroo in the Taoiseach's office when Taoiseach Micheál Martin steps down and Tánisha Leo Varadkar steps up. Now, that's some months away, but this government is now in office for almost two years. And uh, with the pandemic receding and the sense of daily crisis that permeated political discourse for so long abating, something like normal politics is beginning to return. The doll is off for two weeks for Easter, so we thought it was a good opportunity to sit down and to consider the state of the parties as they now are. Gentlemen, the government is under some pressure that's not unusual for a government in mid-term, but its combined polling numbers wouldn't suggest a collapse in support uh, for the government parties. That's particularly true, I think, Cormac, for Fianna Fáil, whom we look at first. They've recovered a little bit in the polls over the last two years. Micheál Martin's numbers seem to be improving uh, a little bit. The threat to his leadership seems to have 
receded. Is this about as good as it's going to get for Fianna Fáil? I'd say they can't believe that they're in this situation at the moment. I mean, they're, they're still hovering at around 20% or, or less in the polls, but they haven't, they haven't lost anything at this stage and, and they even seem to be creeping creeping back up a bit. And, and you, you know, remember at this time last year, I mean, there, there was all sorts of rumblings about, about potential heaves within the party and, you know, the various people seen as leadership candidates and being identified, Jim O'Callaghan and Michael McGrath and, and, you know, perhaps Barry Cowan. But all of that has, has certainly receded because um, the Taoiseach is probably in his best position he's been in a, in a, a long time. I mean, his own, his own personal ratings have, have improved as well in, in recent polls. He's, he's, if he's, if he's not the most popular party leader, he's, he's up there, um, at the moment as well. So, you know, it's, they're, they're in a, a strange position. They're, they're, they obviously aren't where they'd like to be, you know, but, uh, they, they haven't done any worse and, and, uh, government, you know, it seems to be suiting them at the moment. And what's your assessment of the sort of morale amongst party TDs, senators and so on in Leinster House? Do you think that they're happy enough with the way things are going? It's hard to know. I'd say like there seems to be broad optimism, but you will have issues that arise that that are of great concern to them. So you you'll see, you know, their parliamentary party meetings would have been very much concerned with the the cost of living issues over over recent weeks and and you know calls for the delays in the carbon tax hike and 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 more measures to to help households. So there is there is concern at the the bread and butter issues that that affect ordinary people, and I suppose that concern will translate into into how people will vote in in the years to come. But we don't have an imminent election. I mean, the next the next thing we have is is the European and local elections in twenty twenty four. Uh, you know, I think there is broad optimism that the party can improve its support by then. I mean, they they will, of course. The, the big issue for them that they have to deliver on because they hold a brief is is housing if they if they can improve the situation for people trying to get on the property ladder people coping with with high rents uh, they'll be able to point to something that's that's they'll they'll be able to claim is very much their achievement uh, they would hope to be able to sing, have signals in that direction by 2024 that's that's when the government hope to be able to uh, deliver on the the target of delivering 33,000 houses per year nicely coincides with the local elections and uh, then they would hope to be exceeding that by the time of the, the next general election. Uh, but it will be very curious to see uh, how the transition plays out for Fianna Fáil. They, they will be second fiddle uh, after December. Uh, in theory, uh, Taoiseach Michal Martin will be in the Taunish's office and it will be very curious to see how, how that plays out for the remainder of the government. Will it will it lead to more gripes from backbenchers as, as they, they approach the, the crunch time in terms of the elections? What does success look like for Fianna Fáil if we roll the clock on, Cormac says, to the 2024 local and Europeans? I mean, I don't think even the most diehard Fianna Fáil optimist would say that the housing crisis is going to be solved by, by then or the waiting, you know, the wait, the million person waiting lists in, uh, in, in, in health are going to be solved by then. Do, but do you think it is possible or feasible for Fianna Fáil ministers to have made noticeable progress by 2024 on housing and on health and is there, you know, is is that the route to political salvation for the party? I think partly, yes. I, I think Cormac has, has identified 
uh, housing and health as the big, they're the big ongoing issues. Uh, in between, we have all these crises, which, which require very intense and involved day-to-day management, but they will have to be able to show that they have um, achieved some inroads in housing because we've had a housing crisis since 2014 and we've had promises from a succession of ministers that they were going to solve the crisis. And what's happened since 2014 has been the reverse. The the problem seems to have uh, uh, escalated uh, and certainly deepened. And uh, on all the metrics, you know, the, the, the gap has remained consistently big. So Darrell O'Brien, of course, there's no, there's not a, a snowball's chance in hell that he's going to solve the housing crisis by the time the next election comes along. But he will have to show that he has made appreciable inroads. And is that just in the numbers of houses constructed or is it a slightly more complicated picture than that? Because obviously we see, uh, we see lots of houses and apartments being constructed, but a lot of them are for, you know, are for rent. A lot of them are owned by big international investment funds. But will that matter? Because presumably the big international investment funds want to rent them to people who will pay the money for it. I mean, there's loads of construction going on at the moment and not just kind of corporate headquarters, which was the case uh, during the lean period between 2011 and 2016. There's loads of of apartments being built at the moment. I was at a football game with my daughter um, over the weekend and we were driving in through uh, Finglas and Ashtown and the the amount of construction going on there was just incredible, like massive apartment blocks on the banks of the the Royal Canal. So all of those are going to be built. I think the OREIT and the Vulture Funds, I think that's going to be a trope and I think it's going to uh, sway some people uh, to vote uh, uh, against the government parties, notwithstanding the fact that, that bricks and mortar are being built. But I think that what they will hope is that perhaps those votes might have been lost anyway, is that those who, who might not be uh, as swayable on that issue will come over to them once they see that inroads have been made. And it's, it's, it's to do with units. If they have enough units and if, if it can be seen that the pressure is easing in terms of prices, in terms of rent, uh, in terms of availability, I, I think that they will be able to take some political capital uh, from that. But I, they will be attacked on that and it's not going to be a huge uh, vote winner but at, at, on, the, at, on the flip side of the coin, if they do manage to achieve that, they won't leak any more votes. And for Fine Gael and for Fianna Fáil, I mean, we're looking at a very changed political environment, a very changed societal environment. They are fighting for survival, maybe not in this election or the next one, but over the long term. If you look at the first round of the French presidential election that took place over the course of the weekend, the socialists... And the Gaullists, or the Republican Party of France, the two parties that have dominated French politics for a, a century almost, neither of them managed to get more than over 5% of the popular vote. I mean, that's extraordinary. And we see that pattern replicating itself in many European countries, with some exceptions, of, of course. And that is the challenge that faces both uh, Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil uh, going, going into the future. Cormac, let's turn to Fine Gael on that. It seems to me that the party is in a state of some uncertainty at the moment. There is the Garda investigation into the leaking of uh, the details of the GP contract in 2019 uh, by Leo Varadkar. That's still ongoing. People seem to mention that increasingly when you talk to Fine Gael, Fine Gaelers about how they're, how they're feeling. But also, 
I'm not sure Mr. Varadkar has ever really adapted to being Tonishta rather than Taoiseach, and that's probably a difficult transition. Now, whether all that changes and the party's fortunes change if, as planned, Mr. Varadkar assumes the Taoiseach office is another, um, uh, is another case. But there's certainly more than a murmur of discontent emanating from Fine Gael at the moment, isn't there? Absolutely. I mean, of the three government the par- parties, it does seem to be the one that that is in a, a state of, you know, uncertainty and decline at the moment. They, their recent polls have not been great. And, you know, you're right, that that investigation, they really need that to be over as soon as possible. It's it's casting a shadow over over everything. It's it's a problem for the for Fine Gael itself. It's a problem for for uh, the coalition partners. I mean, you it, it Youth wings of the parties. I mean, they, I suppose they're the future future of what's happening. But you you will have seen in recent weeks that that uh, Ogrefina Fall voted uh, it put past the motion to suggest that they wouldn't that's that somebody under guard of investigation shouldn't be appointed as a as a minister or as Taoiseach. It was obviously very much directed as at, at Leo Varadkar. Leo Varadkar has does he not have significant cause for complaint? at this stage, that the Garda investigation, which was commenced well over a year ago, has not been concluded. Absolutely. I'd, I'd agree with that as well. I mean, it's 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 dragging on and on and on. There, there were reports last year that, that pe- people kept on making new statements in relation to the case, which led to, you know, increased time. But, you know, it's it's concerning for, for Fine Gael, it's concerning for Leo Varadkar, because not only, you know, okay, the Gardaí may, may complete, complete their investigation shortly, but then it has to go to the Director of Public Prosecutions for, for her consideration, as well as to whether or not there's, there's a, a case to be, to be uh, pursued. So, you know, this, this could go on a while yet, and, and December is a, a looming deadline of when the, the changeover is, is due to happen. Um, but you know you, you'll have seen the same, the very same sorts of concerns within Fine Gael as well. To, br- to bring it back to other issues more broadly in relation to the cost of living, their backbenchers also unhappy about things that are happening. Um, but you know, also there's there seems to be an attempt to kind of get back to uh, traditional Fine Gael policies and values. Um, the be- the best example of recent weeks being Leo Varadkar suggesting a, a third tax rate uh, for for to help the the middle income earners and people you know keep more of their more of their salaries uh, not in the program for government the Taoiseach says you know the minister of finance is looking at it but will it be in October's budget I'd 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 be willing to bet right now that it won't be but so what's the point of Mr Varadkar running it up the flagpole I mean you know We've we've all been around for a few years. This wouldn't be the first Leo Varadkar flyer about tax cuts that we've heard. Sure. Well, it's it's reminiscent of the kinds of things he would have said at at Fine Gael national conventions or Ardesh, where where he'd be talking about uh, tax cuts over over five years or or whatever. You know, it appeals to the base, I suppose, and it try and an attempt to to appeal to their their core supporters. But we the most recent electoral uh, test was the Dublin Bay South by election and. Fine Gael's core support did come out for James Gagan on that occasion, but they didn't. They didn't get anyone else, you know. And that's that's a problem for for Fine Gael at the moment, and it will be an increasing problem in the in the years ahead. They they very much need a good run at the Taoiseach's office, um, if they're to uh, to to bounce back to even the point that they were at at the last general election, which in itself wasn't a great result. But maybe Harry, like all they have to do is wait 
a bit for things to stabilise. They wait for the Garda investigation to conclude in the assumption that no charges are brought against Mr. Vragger. Obviously, if charges are brought against him, we're in a whole different situation there. It's difficult to see how he could stay on either as leader of Fine Gael or as a member of the government at that stage. But if we assume that charges are not brought, he becomes Taoiseach in December and... All of a sudden, the picture is different. I isn't think it? so, Pat. I mean, the office of Taoiseach is, is uh, maybe transformational is too strong a word, but it certainly uh, gives great impetus not only to the person in the office, but also uh, to the party. And we can see that process with Michal Martin. It took him a long while. I mean, he, he, he ended up uh, swimming in the deep end amongst the sharks uh, because of the, you know, his, the, the start of his tenure was one crisis after another, both internal and external to Fianna Fáil. But gradually, over time, I mean, he has grown into the role. And uh, if it were not for the energy crisis and the war in Ukraine, I, I, I think he would be in a very strong position uh, within Fianna Fáil uh, to continue uh, as Taoiseach, perhaps even to the next uh, election. I think you yourself wrote a column uh, several months ago in which you were the, you were the first person essentially to say that, um, ah, feel free to quote me. Yeah, now. well, it was just a piece of extraordinary, um, <laughs> acute <laughs> uh, political analysis. Um, I uh, hope this has been edited. I don't want to sound too uh, <laughs> too obsequious. Um, no, but I'm it was. Sure it was. In fairness, for once, yeah. for once, you got it right, Pat. And um, you um, you basically said that uh, that the ex- expectation is that he would be remain remain as Taoiseach until the end of the year and then step down. But for the first time, we had the possibility that he could actually uh, stay on as Taoiseach uh, after December, uh, with perhaps initially a tacit understanding that he would stand down sometime between then uh, and the next election to allow somebody else to come in. And I think perhaps those who, who support him might think that, well, you know, we, could, we might even try uh, to extend it to the next election and for him to lead the party into the next election. I don't think that's a realistic prospect, by the way, but I do think that, he, do I. that he will mm-hmm. stay on as leader of Fianna Fáil after uh, December. I think for, for Leo Varadkar, I think the case has been hanging around for far too long and it has become a real stone in the shoe, not just for him, but for the party. And every time he stands up uh, uh, and people look at him as a, in a leadership role, uh, this uh, question uh, follows him around like a stray uh, dog. So that, that will need to be uh, resolved. But it, it, will, it will be resolved. I mean, one way or the other, it can't go on forever. You'd have to think that while the Garda investigation is independent of the DPP is the DPP's consideration of the results of that investigation will of course be in independent that you know they are sufficiently aware of you know the political realities that in their heads they must have a summer or at the very least an early or very latest an early autumn deadline for conclusion of all that. What I'm saying is that it, it would seem to me to be utterly unbelievable for this to to run past the election of Varadkar, the scheduled election of Mr. Varadkar as Taoiseach. Absolutely. And, you know, I don't know if they have, if, they're, if they are politically tone deaf or if they are politically acute, but they, it, it does need to be resolved. And then he will need, if, if he becomes Taoiseach in December, which I think he will, I think he will re- need to reassert his, his authority and his, his uh, wherewithal as, as uh, Taoiseach. 
And then the question arises, he's been leader of Fine Gael for, for a while now, not the longest lasting leader of Fine Gael in his history, but he has been there for, for a while, since 2017. The question is, will he lead uh, Fine Gael, uh, into a second election for him. He'll surely lead them into the next election, but assuming he is, assuming yeah. he's Taoiseach after December, it's what happens after that election, I suppose, is the uncertain thing. Yeah, well, I, I think he will. But I mean, if they're tanking in the polls and if the momentum is still negative, so if they're still going down, uh, that will mean, you know, that, that others uh, with leadership uh, prospects May start beating the war drums, and uh, so is that is that your dog barking in a in scent, a scent yeah, of your the, scent of your the, analysis the, there? Yeah, the, is, is your dog is your dog Vina Gaylor? It's an attack dog, so yeah, right. <laughs> could be any party. <laughs> let, let us, we're moving let us on move to Sinn Fein next, so I don't know. Let's move on to to uh, to Sinn Fein and um, uh, Cormac. I suppose you know the most dramatic change in the political landscape as measured by the polls since the formation of this government is the rise and rise of Sinn Féin, which is now trucking, you know, anywhere between the low 30s, mid 30s in in kind of consistent polling numbers. The party is making efforts, I think, to be seen as, you know, government in waiting. There's Barely a press statement or a doorstep or a press conference goes past without the party saying, you know, Sinn Féin in government would, blah, blah, blah. Um, that process is going reasonably well for the party, you know? Sure, yeah. I mean, they, they have been in something of a, a holding pattern since the last election of the, of the, you know, in the polls there, in the, as you say, the low 30s to mid 30s, but it's a, it's a very comfortable holding pattern for them. You know, they, 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 they have, they have, they're not losing any ground and they, they really only have, if they play their cards right, only the pension to, to keep, to keep increasing their support uh, as, as government goes on because, you know, it, 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 as Harry said earlier, it will be very difficult to solve the housing crisis by the next election. Uh, but yeah, they, they have very much been making efforts to, uh, to come across as the party of government, not just in the, in presenting plans for housing and health and things like that, but also in, in, uh, kind of, uh, sandpapering the, the rough edges. So, I mean, their most recent Ardesh, we would have had their, their, uh, more conciliatory, uh, position on the central, on the special criminal court. Um, they're not outright opposed to having such a court now. They 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 concede it's it's needed to to deal with with gangsters and and you know other other sorts of serious crime. Um, then also uh, more recently, you know while while they had previously sounded quite sympathetic to to Russia, you know in 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 terms of previous statements and questioning the the expulsion of Russian diplomats in 2018 after the chemical attack in Salisbury, you know, and, you know, vote, their votes in the European. But now they've, they've removed all those statements from their, from their website. Yeah. The statements are gone and they were, they were first, uh, you know, or certainly the most vocal uh, in terms of calling for the expulsion of the Russian ambassador Yuri Filatov after the, the invasion of Ukraine. You know, so these are, these are all kind of very much, you know, moves that could be seen in, in terms of, uh, Sinn Féin preparing for a, a government role. Preparing to appeal to the middle ground, I guess, isn't it? H- Harry, we've got to let you off very shortly uh, to dash into uh, Dublin Castle for a post-cabinet doorstep. So we, 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 we let you go after, um, uh, after this question. And I suppose 
it's about, again, sticking with Sinn Féin, I was reading uh, Neil Francis. That great political uh, analyst. Sunday Times, writing about the vital uh, supply line of Irish rugby players coming through the fee-paying schools. And... um, he, he, he made the point, you know, that this was, you know, this conveyor belt of, of talent was in, particularly in Leinster, was in very good shape and all the players that were coming through it. But, you know, what would happen to Irish rugby if a future government, perhaps led by Sinn Féin, was to uh, carry out, uh, act on the noises that it's been making and to withdraw state uh, support of fee-paying schools. And he concluded by saying that the future of Irish rugby was in Mary Lou's hands. Now, while that may be something of an exaggeration, it do, did demonstrate to me the extent to which, you know, a middle-class audience is becoming aware of the imminent prospect of a Sinn Féin-led uh, government. And while... We're a few steps away from that, and it's entirely plausible that Sinn Féin could be the largest party in the next all and still not lead the the next government. That sense of the imminence of Sinn Féin in government is becoming more and more strong in, in our broader political discourse. And that has to help them, I suppose. It does. Um, I mean, and Sinn Féin's, I mean, I remember a time when you looked at, at Sinn Féin's support and it was predominantly working class, it was predominantly male, it was predominantly in the younger age courts of 18 to 24. That situation has changed. I mean, even amongst, even in our last poll, 31% of people in the AB category, which is the most affluent in society, said that they would be minded to vote uh, for uh, Sinn Féin. So th- they were once a, a a marginal party that attracted uh, support from a particular cohort uh, and even though they still have a very strong base in working class communities and in border communities and people who would regard themselves as Republican, their 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 support has spread dramatically over the past three or four years uh, to include every facet of Irish society. Now, their strategy in opposition has been an out and out populist one. Uh, and uh, but also, you know, realistic, as Cormac was saying, they have modified uh, their stance, for example, on the Special Criminal Court, and they did a very dramatic U-turn in relation to Russia. So they have the antennae uh, up. I think the difficulty uh, that Sinn Féin will, will have, Jerry Howland wrote a very good column about it several weeks ago, uh, is that they have so many promises made at this juncture already that if they do go into government, they are bound to disappoint and they will suffer a, a very sharp reverse uh, in Government. I mean, their 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 whole theme at the moment is in relation to cost of living, which is the kind of the classical uh, populist uh, stance, and they've been battering the government away on that over the past uh, couple of months with 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 huge effect. Now, their difficulty is that um, they're going to have to come up with solutions themselves if they do go into government, and that's going to present a a challenge for them. And I can't really see them modifying their rhetoric between now and the next election. Uh, and if they do get into government and there's there's not a, a huge chance, I think I'd agree with you, they'll be the largest party. But the path to government will not be an easy one after the next election, unless Fianna Fáil essentially uh, uh, bite the bullet, uh, if you excuse the, the mixed metaphor, and go in with them. Uh, but um, if they do go into government, uh, I, I, I think the party will, will, will suddenly discover 
that it has to take a bite out of a very unsavoury uh, reality sandwich in terms of actually implementing all the promises that it has made. On that striking metaphor, Harry, we will bid you bon voyage and let you hop on your bike, go to um, Government Buildings. Cormac, um, we're, 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 we're pressed for uh, time and so I'm going to annoy all the other parties by grouping them together for our, 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 our last section. And just to relate you know, our consideration of their fortunes to what we were talking about uh, a minute ago. You know, if it seems to me Sinn Féin has two possible routes to government, we've spoken about uh, this before here, one with Fianna Fáil and one leading a a coalition of the left. How are the other parties, the smaller left-wing parties, Labour, uh, the Social Democrats, uh, the Greens, how are they all... And, and, and the rest of the left-wing independents. How are they all faring at the moment? Muddling along, I would say. I mean, the one thing I would say about the Greens is that, you know, they've actually been quite successful in government in terms of getting the things that they I want. So right. we have carbon budgets now. We have we have um, climate action at the centre of government. The best example of, of their success has been in recent weeks with the cost of living and, and pressure from backbenches in, in Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil to, uh, to delay uh, the next carbon tax increase. Uh, there wasn't even a, a moment during those weeks and those calls where it actually seemed like that might happen. You know, the, the, while there, there are people quivering about it and moaning about it in the background, the government wasn't going to delay that increase in carbon tax um, for you know, home heating, oil and gas on the, on the, just because of that. So it shows the power that the Greens have in government in that sense. You know, they, they, they have this policy through and it's, it's, it's gonna, they're going to stay the course with it. I, I can't see that trajectory of carbon tax increase over the, over the lifetime of the government changing in any way. Um, so they're doing well, but the, the, the problems the Green face is that, you know, they are the small party in government. Small parties always suffer in coalition governments. You know, they, they had, they had a particularly good election in 2020, but there's, there's no guarantee that will translate to the, to the next election. So that, that's what they'll, they'll have to watch. And all the small parties kind of live on the edge electorally. That's the difficulty for them where, you know, if they're at, you know, they can be at 4% and win only a tiny handful of seats or, they, you know, they can be at 6 or 7% and they can win, you know, 8, 9, 10, 12 seats. Well, this is it. And it's, it's also that's the reason, one of the, the purported reasons for Alan Kelly going as the, the leader of the Labour Party was, was the polls. Well, the polls really haven't changed for the Labour Party over the last few years. They it's a heck of a hostage to fortune for the new well, that, absolutely, yeah, they, and they do they do well in certain constituencies where they they have well known candidates or or a tradition. But you know, they, they, we're not going to see Labour in the, the mid teens. I, I would suggest uh, by the time we get to the next election, which which is a problem for Ivana Bacic. How does she show success? She's going to have to have a very very good local election. I, I think is the only is the only way she can do that. Um, she's had a difficult opening few weeks as, as the new Labour leader hasn't come across terribly well in interviews, not, not being able to give figures for, for Labour's mini budget, very uncomfortable ask, answering questions about, about the departure of her predecessor. So she, she has a very difficult job to do, uh, to revive the fortunes of the Labour Party. The, the Social Democrats, on the other hand, they're relatively comfortable. I think they they have the benefit of having a a younger support base. I think um, and and who are, who are quite quite loyal to them. Um, you know, yeah, I, I'm sure we will have the debate many times over the coming years as well. You know, Labour and Social Democrats. 
you know, their, their, their differences are, are paper thin, if, if even that. And will, will they ultimately end up joining together at some point? Uh, if, if they can all get over, over the, the, the kind of personality clashes and things that might have happened in the past. Um, but then the last group that might potentially form a, a, a part of a, a left wing government led by Sinn Fein, I suppose, people before profit again, their their polls they're in the the very very low single digits and have been for a long time. I don't think they'll have done themselves any favors uh, last week when they when they they stood for uh, the president of Ukraine Vladimir Zelensky's speech, but but didn't clap that sort of stuff. It's not very much in tune with with public opinion, so they're they're likely to stay remain a, a niche uh, offering in the elections to come. Yeah, I'm not sure whether it would fit in with their political objectives to be in a kind of a centre-left, uh, a centre-left government anyway. I mean, it seems to be the broader the broader truth about Labour and the Social Democrats uh, is one that you could apply to the, 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 the left more generally. And, and that's to say that there is a substantial non-Sinn Féin left-wing vote in the country, bigger probably than it's ever been. But it's scattered between so many different parties and independents that it doesn't really offer a, a serious force for uh, for government. And there seems little chance of that changing between now and the next election. It, look, it, it's that's been the, the story of the left in Irish politics since the the foundation of the state. It's it just it becomes way too fragmented. I I don't know. There was an observation and must have been on social media in recent years that, you know, if if the Irish pay, Labour Party was like the the UK Labour Party it would have, would include Sinn Fein people before profit. Everybody, you know, the the, the argument being the UK Labour has has all all kind of spectrums of of the left. Now it doesn't often do them any favors, but at least at least it makes them a, a force that could potentially be a, a, a government on its own on occasion. You know that has never been a prospect here. They've also spent quite a lot of quite a lot of their history in government, of course. Whereas Ireland is still waiting for its first left-led government. Well, the, this is it. You know, it, it, despite despite the fact that you've got the the Corbynistas on one end and the Blairites on the other end, you know they they somehow hold it together and uh, and present a. a a, a a force to be reckoned with if if certainly in the past if not in more recent years well listen uh it's a topic i'm sure we will return to between now and the next election and uh and and between now perhaps when that uh, and when that turnaround in the Taoiseach's office takes place later in the year which is likely i think to loom larger and larger as uh, as the year progresses. But that's all we've time for at the uh, at the moment. Uh, my thanks to producer Declan Connell and JJ Vernon on sound from me, Pat Leahy, from Cormac McQuinn and from the uh, recently departed Harry McGee. Uh, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week. 